Some of you may be like me, wondering why am I here? Why isn't he here? First Sunday back after all these Sundays, and Rod put somebody else into pitch. If you figure it out, explain it to me. But think about it. How far back was it when COVID put up that first stop sign in our lives? Well, for your information, the last time we all got together in this room was March 8th, 2020. That's when COVID shut the doors on us. How long is that? Well, that's a year, four months, one week, and three days ago, or it's 16 months ago, or it's 71 Sundays ago since we were here in this place together. 497 days. I have to begin today by saying and expressing my thanks, and probably your thanks also, to some folks, because for the last 497 days, the staff, the table, uh, musicians, tech, technological Mennonites, whatever that is, they have made decisions on our behalf with our input, and they have prayed and sought medical information, and they have done things, and I didn't have to worry about it. And I am grateful that they have done that for me. And I'd just like to applaud all of you, whoever you are. I snuck into worship here last week during the trial run. And uh, I want to be honest with you. I had to do three things in that first service. And the first thing I did when I left my house in Vancouver, I, I'm telling you the truth. When I left my house in Vancouver, I had to plug Portland Mennonite Church into my Maps app to be sure that I still remembered how to get here. The second thing was from the back of the room looking around, I thought I saw a head, a head of hair that I recognized. And so I went in and sat down beside and promptly called Kim Brandt by the wrong name. Well, she was wearing a mask. But the third thing that was maybe you experienced just now is that when we began singing, my voice cracked and croaked from 16 months of non-use. I am so glad we're back. I really am. Let's pray for just a second. God, be my vision. And God, please become the still point in my wandering mind, and God silence all voices, but yours in our minds. Amen. Taking four weeks to study Paul is a great call, again, by Rod and the rest of the staff and everyone. Paul's letter to the Philippians is a, a book that was written while he was in prison. His stop signs had gone up, and he was chained 24 hours a day to someone in the Roman Imperial Guard. He wasn't in a dungeon, a prison, or anything like that, but he was in jail in a serious way, and that's part of what makes Philippians so amazing because he talks about joy. 15 times in four chapters, he keeps expressing gratitude for rejoicing and joy and what's coming out in his life, even in that tough situation. 
You know, but for me, joy is key in the book, but I think I find a different stack pole, a different foundation for the book, because when you read through all four chapters and you begin to look for what words, what thoughts, what principles keep jumping to the top, 104 times, 104 verses, 33 times, Paul mentions brain words, brain words like knowing and learning and, and thinking and words like forgetting and all of those kind of words keep jumping out over and over again. So that on every three verses, Paul says something about use your mind, exercise your brain. And if Paul were to come here next week after the fourth chapter and to administer our final exam, I don't think he would be knocked out of the park if we were all sitting here with our mask on six feet apart and we were all just singing the old song. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I, no, no, no. That, that's, that, I don't think Paul would really be thrilled with that whole issue. Because more than the joy issue, I think Paul would be looking at us and asking us, do you know Christ? And it's, it's not even the generic, do you know a few more facts about Christ? Something about his, the geography of Israel, something about his brothers. And, no, 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 not more facts about, in fact, you probably need to mark that off inside of your bulletin there. Mark off more about. Because Paul's challenge to us is not to know more about Jesus. Paul's challenge is know Christ. He says that in, in verse 8, he says it very clearly that that's where we need to be, that we need to, he regards everything as loss except for knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says it again in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's number 12 on the projector back here behind me. I want to know Christ. And even beyond that, if we look at what the Amplified Bible says about that word know, it expands it. That's why it's an Amplified Bible. It takes the words and expands them. And it says it this way, is that I want to progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. I want to perceive and recognize and understand the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. That is a challenging statement given to us by Paul. We have to begin working intentionally. It's something we do to know Christ. It's not a place we arrive or anything like that. We've got to invest our time in knowing Christ. Now, from the simplest days of Christianity in all of our lives, people have told us this. I can remember as a small child, in a Sunday morning Bible study with teachers who were really frustrated with my activity level, that they were telling me, Randy, if you'll spend 10 minutes a day being still and being quiet and reading a piece of scripture and then trying to live that and think 10 or 15 minutes a day will help you know Christ. And you see what happens is, getting back to that joy, the more we know Christ, the more joy we'll experience. I can't just have joy and fake it. I've got to know Christ so that my joy flows out of who he is. This morning, like most mornings, we don't often think about the way we think. 
if I were able to crack into your skulls at this moment and, and somehow know what your brain was thinking, most of us in this room right now are thinking about something we feel. Warmth, smoke, closeness. But we don't think about how we think. Well, Paul wants us to think differently. In the earlier chapter, Philippians 2.5, he said this, let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Translated a different way, it says, in your lives you must think and act like Christ. What an amazing challenge. We could think like Christ thought. Paul's telling us that because of the Holy Spirit, we have that as an opportunity. Our thoughts determine our words. Our thoughts determine our actions. We are what we think. And if our thoughts shape our words, and if our thoughts shape our actions, we need to act and think like Christ. It's not just in Paul's letter to the Philippians that he says this. It's throughout the New Testament, and it's dynamically in all of Paul's writings. In his letter to the Romans, he said it this way, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. New Living says it this way. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So I want to I know. I'm going, okay, really? Is God asking me to change the way I think? And, and is that even possible? Science? Is it possible to change the way you think? Online, I have a friend named Kristen, and Kristen is not a contemporary, typical kind of Christian. And someone happened to place onto her Facebook stream the question, what would it take to get you to go to church? She had a one-word answer, science. So let's look at it. What does science say about this changing the way we think? Back in about the mid-1990s, Tim Monica, we can, we can blame Tim for this. NPR ran a series of, of sessions on your brain on religion. This is your brain on God. And it was, it was playing up the fact that at that time, neuroscientists who study your brain had begun to do some research into the spiritual side of our brains. You see, for so long, you had to be dead for somebody to study your brain. There had to be an autopsy. But in the late 90s, we were able to begin looking at brain research in such a way that you could be alert and awake, and they could look at what parts of your brain were active during different activities. Spiritual neuroscience. They, 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 they tested Buddhists. And they, they looked at what happened in their brains as Buddhists meditated. They Pentecostal brains. They did research when they spoke in tongues, what part of their brains were active. Sikhs, when they chanted, they could do spiritual neuroscience on us. They could get all of us in a room and, and test our brains. What happens when the word cobbler is mentioned? They, they, they can do that nowadays and see what's going on. One of the key found findings that came out in all this research is the word neuroplasticity, which refers to the fact that, yes, your brain can change. It, it, it's plastic. It's movable. It's malleable. It changes as you think about things. Another concept that's back there is neural pathways. That when I think of one thing, 
my brain creates these pathways throughout my brain toward here's how it felt, here's how it smelled, here's how it was in the past, here's how it looked, here's how it tasted. All of those things are firing off the different aspects of my brain. I want you to talk to somebody near to you, really. I want you to talk to somebody. Those of you who are on the feed, use the chat box or talk to somebody right there next to you on the couch at home. Just brief answers, okay, real short answers on this. But I have a new granddaughter. Her name's Berkeley Marie. She lives in Texas. And uh, Berkeley's five weeks old now. And I want you to think about it, just real quickly comment to the person nearest to you. When, when Berkeley kind of smiles automatically and her mom smiles back, what neural pathway fires off in Berkeley's mind? What does Berkeley think? When she kind of smiles and her mom smiles back. Go ahead, talk. What does Berkeley think? And, 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 and the, the, the flip side of that, what, what, what does her mom think the first time Berkeley smiles and her mom smiles? What does her mom think? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, pause. Pause. Let, let, like I say, brief answers, brief answers. Let's go six months from now. Six months from now, Berkeley is crawling. And, and Berkeley is crawling toward the kitchen. And her mom tells her the stove's hot. But Berkeley, for the first time, touches the stove, not the flame, just the stove. And she experiences hot for the first time. What does Berkeley think? Go ahead. Six months old, what does Berkeley think? Berkeley, let me remind you, is, is Susan, my wife's granddaughter. So probably Berkeley at that moment at six months old assumes never go in the kitchen. <laughs> That's sorry, Susan. One more, one more, one more. Uh, six months later, uh, Berkeley is in the grocery cart at the grocery store in the checkout line. And Berkeley sees those brightly colored suckers. And Berkeley reaches for a sucker, and her mom says, no. What does Berkeley think? Go ahead. And, 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 and what, is, what does mom think at that moment? What does mom think at that moment? We're going to keep this rolling for one more second here real quick. And then Berkeley starts screaming, crying tears that can be heard over the whole store. And mom gives her the sucker. What does Berkeley think? And what does mom think at that moment? Okay, okay. Return back to where you were. Thank you very much. In all the situations you just described, neural pathways are being fired up. And in Berkeley's case, they're just being started. But in her mom's eyes, these are all pathways that were already there, but maybe they're being cleared out to be more strengthened. And maybe they're being closed down because I don't want to go that path again. That's what kind of processes are happening there inside of their minds. Uh, we think, and the brain creates these pathways, these links 
to different aspects of our brains. And see, that's great reassurance for me and you. If we're thinking great, positive, spiritual things, that's great. We're creating these freeways to, to godliness in our minds. But if you are like me are guilty of, of negative thoughts and repetitive thoughts that aren't positive, I'm creating trouble in my mind. This whole idea of spiritual neuroscience was pretty new to me when I started looking at it a couple of weeks ago when Rod pushed me in this direction. Inside of your order of worship, on page six, there's some books listed that do talk about this spiritual neuroscience and listed in different ways. No, I haven't read all of them cover to cover, but I feel safe recommending most of them to you because you are reflective thinking people. So maybe you want to check out some of those to keep this going. In one of those books, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she says this on again, spiritually, can our minds change? She says this, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period, the change can be measured in a brain scan. 10, 12 minutes a day, eight weeks of prayer, focused thinking about God, and it'll show up in a brain scan. Yes, we can change the way we think. And people who regularly focus on God's love through prayer and meditation, they change. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it in others' lives that folks who begin to get on some kind of discipline for that kind of action really can change it. It involves the prefrontal cortex gets involved where we, where, we, where we really do our best focus and our best attention kind of thinking. It gets involved there so that we avoid distraction. Remember the first time you ever tried to spend 10 minutes alone with God? Couldn't pull it off. I didn't have enough focus. That's why great biblical minds like Jackie Chan, um, not even a neuroscientist, but Jackie Chan in the 2010 remake of The Karate Kid, he said to his young whippersnapper, your focus needs more focus. And I do too. Thanks, Jackie. Spiritual people also have more activity in the singular anterior cortex of their brain. That's the part of your brain that's, that's all about love and compassion and empathy. Someone who gets that depth of their brain involved in their thinking, they have more love for other people. People who get that going in there, that godly community happening inside of their brain, they care about their neighbors. They care about people who don't have as much in this world as they do. So, yeah, we can change the way we think. Have you ever thought about <laughs> how much you think about? How many thoughts you have per day? Scientists early on back in the late 90s thought it was probably 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day were flashing through our brains. Nowadays, recently out of a, a college in Queensland, Australia, they've been doing some work on this, and they think they're going to cut that number down because they think most of us think in little batches. So we'll have a thought, and then we'll think all kinds of things about that thought. They call them thought worms. <laughs> and these thought worms, they think we have about 6,200 a day separate thought worms run through our minds. 6,200 a day. Research tells us that about 85% of the thoughts that we have in our mind are negative and that 90% of the thoughts in our mind are repetitive that day. We thought about it earlier and we're thinking about it again and again and again and again. Folks, if we've got that much negative happening 
in our brains, Houston, we have a problem. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he also talked about minds. He writes this, we need to take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ. Another translation, capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I love that image. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. What comes in your mind comes out in your life. You do what you think. If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. I was driving through Hazeldale, Washington, a suburb of Vancouver, Thursday night. And as I drove by Grover's Hardware Store, they have a sign in front of it, you know, where they've changed the message and put little messages up. And at Grover's Hardware Store in Hazeldale, Washington, the message was, you are what you think, quote, Buddha. If Buddha knows it and Grover's Hardware <laughs> knows it, then you and I, we've got to do good work at controlling our thoughts and knowing Christ. Rewind mentally back to when I walked up here with a Starbucks cup. And imagine if you would, that maybe as I was coming up, Rod was going down and we bumped into each other and I spilled coffee. And, uh, you know, Rod looked at me in his wise way. Rod looked at me and Rod said, you know, why'd you spill the coffee? And I would have replied, because you bumped me. And always wise Rod would have accurately responded, wrong answer. You spilled the coffee because there's coffee in the cup. If there'd been tea in there, you would have spilled tea. If there'd been water in there and whatever's in the container is what you spill out. Now rewind your mind back to March 2020 when COVID really started bumping into us. What spilled out of you? Was it joy? <laughs> Gratefulness? Honesty? Enthusiasm? Or was what spilled out of you on Randy's checklist? Anger and bitterness and harsh words and depression and frustration, embarrassment. That's enough. God has provided the container, our spiritual, our physical bodies. And now the scripture points us toward we have control under the power of the Holy Spirit to decide what goes in, because that will determine what comes out. You are great people. And I welcome you to join me on the journey of knowing Christ.